This is the Resilient Disciples podcast powered by Awana. I'm Ross Cochran, your host, and thank you for listening. This is episode two. So in case you missed it, I'm starting this podcast by having one-on-one conversations with the four authors of the latest book from Awana, Resilient, Child Discipleship in the Fearless Future of the Church. Today, you're going to hear my conversation with Awana's president and chief strategy officer, Matt Markins. Now, I've only known Matt for a couple weeks, but in those couple weeks, I've learned two things about Matt. He's a visionary leader, and he really knows what he's talking about and cares deeply about child discipleship. And my guess is, so do you. You may not use that language. You may prefer being called an advocate for kids, like what Valerie talked about in episode one. But no matter the label, we believe by God's grace, we're here to help you help the kids in your life. I sincerely hope you enjoy and learn from this conversation as much as I did. So without any further ado, here's Matt Markins. here, Matt. And I say thanks for being here. And uh, I think technically I also have to thank you for letting me work here. So both of those <laughs> things, um, it's really glad to ha- I'm really glad to have you here. I'm really been looking forward to this conversation, but in particular, it's good to be with you as we dive into Resilient Disciples. Is this, I don't even necessarily know something in the background. Is this your, is this your first book? Uh, it's, a, it's my third book to be a co-author. Okay. Yeah. So as someone who has co-authored exactly zero books, what was this writing process like compared to the, some of the other books that you've read? This was the most unique. Okay. Uh, the, f- the first book I did was really research-based. The second one was more children's ministry leadership, about how to drive change in children's ministry. This one was very much more collaborative. First of all, there were four people involved. Mm-hmm. Plus, uh, it's, it's, it was more than a collection of thoughts. It was actually, it's, it's an artistic expression. So we had visual communicators, vid- uh, video a thought editorial. So it was actually the most collaborative book uh, project that I've ever been a part of, uh, which was exhilarating, uh, but it was also complex. Sure. Uh, and a lot it, of schedules. Which made it challenging and fun at the same time. So, so yeah, so we, we began uh, actually 12 months ago is when the process, I think, really kicked off. So I guess it would have been December uh, 2018. Oh, sure. Uh, really kind of plotting out uh, the direction. And uh, v- Valerie, the, being the chief thought leader. Uh, and then Mike, Chris, and myself uh, played different roles of mm-hmm. refinement, uh, providing structure, architecture, uh, et cetera. So yeah, we each had different roles. Valerie is very, again, very much the, the visionary. Um, uh, Mike is also very much a thought leader, visionary. We all well, to certain degrees. Uh, Chris, very much an engineer and architect <laughs> within children's ministry philosophy. Sure. Uh, and so, of course, he's our resident theologian. Uh, I'm very much, I played more of the shaper role, mm. uh, shaping it, thinking if I'm the children's ministry leader or the lead pastor and I'm reading this, what does this mean to me? Yeah. How can I apply this in our local context? Well, I think that's one of the reasons that the book, you know, was so enjoyable for me is like, you can really kind of see how all your voices came together mm. and how it can serve a wide spectrum of folks who are kind of in this world. But I want to ask kind of a broad question that I think helps yep. kind of set up the context of the conversation today of how did God bring you to Awana? What did that look like? Well, uh, in 2012, I was wrapping up a, a chapter uh, in life. Um, I was working with an organization called Randall House based in Nashville, which is, as you probably know, is a Christian publishing community uh, in Nashville. So I so, uh, was finishing up that chapter. I had been the co-founder of the D6 conference, which is Deuteronomy 6 uh the family and the church working together to make disciples. 
And throughout my D6 journey, having uh, launched that conference and steward, helped steward that community for about five or six years, uh, was to a place where asking what's next. And I, I kept coming back to Awana because we had mm. brought Awana into our local church in, in that season and was doing some research on the organization. And the moment that I saw like Awana's around the world in 100 countries at that time, my jaw hit the floor. So my wife and I started talking about this, started praying about it. And man, when I would run it, when I would bump up against Awana people out and about on the conference circuit, they were always filled with joy. Yeah. Big smiles, great conversation. So it was just really kind of one thing led to another, having coffee with some people and our family got invited to come check out the ministry. And next thing you know, we were loading up the U-Haul. That's awesome. So you were in Nashville at the time then? Yep. Okay. So then you came to Chicago. Most most people in Chicago are doing the opposite. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you come into Awana, but one of the things that I think, you know, as a relatively new employee at this point has been really clear to me is that joy. That, that joy permeates oh, yeah. the organization. Oh, yeah. All throughout the organization. And, uh, you know, all these people who have been a part of this mission for decades. And I think that's really rare in the kingdom. I think, uh, especially in today's moment where uh, cynicism is so rampant and uh, it's so easy to become jaded to something that once brought you joy. And the fact that there's so many people here who time and time again yeah. continue to go like, yeah, no, like a want is something. So on that. the way into the organization, a buddy of mine told me, Matt, you will not, it, 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 it's not uncommon to see two people standing in a hallway praying for one another uh, because, because that's just the DNA of the people within the yeah. organization. So yeah, Jesus said, we're going to be known by our love for one another. And that's very much true of this ministry, mm-hmm. uh, which tells me the Holy spirit is very active in the hearts and lives of the people who are a part of the ministry, not just yeah. in this building throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that's been really clear to me, especially from, uh, the authors of the book, but everybody I've spoken to is there's an attitude here about children's ministry generally that is different than the sort of stereotypical attitude of a lot of Sunday schools across the, across the kingdom where there is a level of importance. There is a level of emphasis that like this really counts and this really matters. And I'm just curious, like when did God make that clear to you? Because I think for a lot of people, a lot of, there's a lot of like a lot of senior pastors walking around being like, yeah, you know, kids men is this thing that happens down the hallway or downstairs. And like, that's seems like that's never been your story. It's, it's probably a collection of factors. Um, but I observed it pretty on, pretty early on in, in ministry as a volunteer, okay, uh, watching children absorb information and seeing transformation happen in their lives and seeing them grow. My wife and I used to be, and this is two decades ago, we volunteered as uh, elementary Sunday school coordinators, right? Like okay. what a great title. I thought I was the, <laughs> I was the happiest person on the planet to, to be able to serve in that capacity. And I thought it was a good add that to your LinkedIn right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so we were just noticing in these kids' lives such, such fruit, gospel mm. fruit uh, being grown uh, within them. And uh, Katie and I just, we, we became champions of children's ministry in that season. And, and that's, you know, in, in this season was it kind of the same time as the 414 movement was being birthed. That uh, Barna, the Barna group, the research between the ages of 4 and 14 is when most people come uh, okay. to the gospel. Okay. And that was a huge piece of research that every every children's pastor and children's volunteer around the world in that moment exclaimed, you know, <laughs> just jumped up and down with joy because that's what they already knew in their heart and it was yeah. validated statistically. Sure. So, so that was that was obviously uh, huge. And then uh, different organizations I've worked for being able to observe the impact of children's ministry. But then also looking back at my own journey, uh, came to Christ at a really young age. I still remember... 
uh, what church I was at, the, who was in the room. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very big moment uh, to, to see the pa- impact of the gospel in my own life happening at such a young age. Because as a child, I was looking for something better than the brokenness in my own home. Mm. And Jesus uh, was the best thing. Was it something better? Yeah. yeah. You know, I think one of the things that's important that people understand about this moment for Awana is that this is not an indictment on things that we've done before, right? This is, we've arrived at this point and this is our sort of projection and a conversation we want to be carrying on in the future. Um, And I think this book is going to serve as a great sort of roadmap for people. But um, when you look at the kind of the kid ministry space, you know, why do you feel like this book needed to be entered into the conversation. Mm -hmm. What about this book um, stands out as kind of unique to the moment we're in right now? Mm -hmm. In the first portion of the book, probably the first couple chapters, we share an image uh, provided by Ed Stetzer that talks about the cultural divide that we're facing now and the increasing cultural divide the church can anticipate in the future. Okay. This image has come just at the right time uh, when we've been talking about the year 2050, it's it's been it's been our it's been on our lips for the last year, and uh, this this really helps us to cast a vision to the church where, where are we headed, mm-hmm. right? So uh, w- when we understand that the cultural divide that we're experiencing now is only going to increase for the convictional church, it, it really begs the question: Are we adequately preparing today's kids to lead the church and to thrive in their faith in the year 2050? That, that question has been very thought-provoking and provocative uh, to, a lot, to a lot of churches because as we reflect on that and we think about the way we do children's ministry now, the answer has been, we're not sure. Yeah. And for some churches, it's been just no. <laughs> um, but, but to not be sure, let's pretend you know we're, we're walking up to the uh, school, we're about to enroll our kids in a private school. And, and we asked the school, so show me the data, show me, show me the impact your school is having on the lives of kids. And, and they, and we're about to drop, you know, 20 grand or 50 mm-hmm. grand on this tuition, right? And, mm-hmm. and, the, and the school says, you know, we don't really know. We don't really know the impact that our school is having on kids. We would never drop that kind of cash uh, in an institution like that. We're talking about the most important thing we do in our kids' lives, preparing them as children to be disciples, to lead the future of the church. Mm -hmm. And children's ministry is currently saying, you know, we're not really sure of the long-term impact. And we're heading into a future that's radically different from anything we've ever experienced before. That's why this book is being published right now. I feel like sometimes what happens is people look out into the culture of today and it's so easy. You know, a lot of what the intro to this podcast will be, you know, talking about how like all these terrible church statistics and all, you know, how everything is dying and how, you know, you're seeing a lot of sort of like post-Christian thought. Um, and what strikes me about this book is it is not doom and gloom. No. It is not, no. it's uh, it is hopeful. hopeful. It's filled with hope. And We're, optimistic. It's filled with hope because look at the title, Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church. You know, we chose, obviously you choose your words carefully when you're putting them on the front of a book, but, <laughs> but child discipleship works. Right? Yeah. Like, like, like when I look at my own journey and I look back and I think about the factor, the, the very few but significant factors that had the most, the, the most significant contribution, right? So that's what we've studied. That's what we've gone through back to look at the gospels. Mm-hmm. And th- there are a few key contributing factors that have significant impact on effect or on discipling us as children, students, young adults, et cetera. And that's why the book is hopeful. You know, uh, look at look at Daniel in the Old Testament, right? Quintessential example. Uh, 
boy, talk about someone who was uh, living in, in exile, living living in a Babylonian world, obviously. Uh, that's that's the kind of stuff we need to be, those are kind of conversations we need to be having today. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me about Awana is that this is an organization that has done the work to earn people's trust. And one of the things that I would love to hear from you is some of the people who are going to be listening to this right now. Like there's going to be people who they are, you know, they've been leading a club for years, right? And they are week in and week out faithfully serving the kids that are there. And they may not necessarily be getting the kind of support that they want from uh, some of the senior pastors or some of the other, you know, from some parents, right? Some parents may be like, uh, you know, I don't really know what's going on. And I'm curious what from the book stands out to you as particularly equipping for that type of leader who might feel a little burnt out by the process and how this book could really be like fresh wind in their sails. Well, first and foremost, to, to respond to something you said, we're a very, we're an imperfect organization. Of course. You know, I think we, we have been and are an encouragement to many churches, but there's been some churches who may not have had a great experience with us. So who, who knows? So, uh, so we're an imperfect organization, but we, we are coming alongside of the church uh, with the same love we spoke about earlier mm-hmm. and a shared passion to reach and disciple children. So uh, we, we want to get close to the church for the church that says, Hey, we we're looking for a partner to help us reach and disciple our kids. We, we want to help be that partner or at least a partner, right? Yeah. Maybe one among many. I think sometimes people who don't necessarily have kids in kids ministry or people who um, may not see the value of this conversation that we're, we're having, um, the criticism might be, you know, like, well, they got time, right? Like they, you know, we're doing this thing with adults and we're trying you know, like adults have all these big and complex problems. And, you know, when kids get to the adult service, then we're really going to start being able to disciple them. I'm curious, like, how do you push back against some of that thinking? I, I think we, we, sh- we lock arms with educators, uh, who, who understand, uh, the development of children, uh, that these years are the most formative year. By the time you're 13, your worldview is pretty much locked. That's very few people, wild. very few people jump tracks uh, in terms of their worldview. Uh, you know, at post high school, right? Uh, so, so up up to the ages of 13, 14, 15, that's that's when things are really set. So the church has a an enormous opportunity to communicate, we talked about love earlier, to communicate love, mm. uh, b- more than anything, love, because love communicates, I belong here. This place is hospitable. This place welcomes me. I look at this community and I say, this: these people are, are radiant and attractive. Why would I not want to move uh, closer to this community? So the, chur- the church has a huge job, op- and, and educators understand mm-hmm. that these are the, the, the most significant years to, to reach these children and get them moving in a direction in a healthy direction. But as gospel people, we want that direction to be towards Christ. Yeah. Uh, the gospel helps us define reality that God created this world. We fell, he can redeem us and he's going to restore all things unto him eventually. So, so we have a, a great opportunity to, to lead kids to help understand that reality and to find their hope in him. Yeah, that's great. I feel like this book and, and you know, we'll talk about Bright as well, if that's all right. Like sure. some of the things that are coming on, uh, coming up for Awana in 2020 and beyond, um, it's, it's for this moment. And I think a pretty valid criticism of a lot of, a lot of church, not just children's ministry, a lot of church is that, oh, like, you know, we do this every November because it's what we did last November yeah. and it's what we did in the November before. And I think there's a crying out of like, but well, what about now? Thanks for listening. We'll be right back.
are so excited to introduce Bright, a new digital weekend curriculum for kids and students created by and for children's ministry leaders. Bright is biblically based and jam-packed with easy-to-use lessons, helpful training videos, digital media, large and small group resources, and so much more. Bright is the perfect solution to pair the gospel truth with engaging content for children and leaders alike. Our prayer is that Bright would help kids navigate real-life challenges. We believe the future of the church is bright. Download a free four-week sample of the Bright curriculum today at resilientdisciples.com. The questions we're, we're asking in the book, and I think we get to this much, you know, chapters 8, 9, 10. Uh, one of the questions we're asking is, what we are doing, is it producing and yielding long-term fruit? So so we do a lot of things in the church, and in and I've been a volunteer for 20 years, and some of my best friends are local church pastors and children's pastors, so mm-hmm. I, I understand uh, the, the inner workings of the church. We have we have a liturgical calendar or a programmatic calendar that we stick to, but that's a lot of busyness, a lot of activity, a lot of resources are pouring into that. And I think as we look into a very different future yeah. where the church is increasingly going to be increasingly marginalized and that cultural gap is going to widen, we've got to ask different questions now about all of this activity that we're doing, all these resources and investment we're putting into our, our kids' program, is it influencing these kids in the direction that's going to produce the resilient disciples who are going to lead, and lead, not only lead the church, but engage the culture in the year 2050? So it's time that we just ask those different questions. Yeah, you've been in this world. You've walked the walk. You have been in different roles and different levels of seniority. So, you know, as someone who has a much wider view of children's ministry than I certainly have. You know, how have you seen this conversation change and what does that conversation look like in this moment? Since 2014, the leaders of this organization have had over a thousand in-person conversations with local church leaders. That's incredible. In, in addition to that, we, we have a team of people that have been collecting research along the way, been paying very close attention to what's happening uh, other research that other organizations are reporting. And plus we've done four research projects of our own since 2014, two of them in 2019, oh, wow. uh, the year that we're currently in. So, so it, it's been a season of listening. Mm. It, it, there's, we've been doing a lot of listening. So the conversation, this, uh, the previous decade, this past decade, the conversation has been about half the kids are leaving the church after high school and a good percentage of those don't come back. So okay. it, the conversation has been, how do we help reach and disciple our own children? And it's been very much this family ministry, next-gen ministry conversation, which is a great, it's a wonderful conversation. Yeah, and you were part of that conversation. Many of the people listening were probably part of that, part of that yeah, conversation. Yeah. So, so very very much a, a family ministry. How do we get the church and the and parents working together? A couple of things have shifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, n- number one, um, this, this, inf- this research and the information about the cultural divide, the continued marginalization of the church, well, well, let's get it. Let's get under some of the, what are some of those things? There's a mountain range of, uh, of of significant shifts that have happened. Significant shift in how we consume digital technology. Um, what used to be out there, quote unquote, out there, drinking and dancing and smoking and all these all these things. Those things are. I'm obviously joking when I use mm-hmm. those terms. Mm-hmm. All those things out there are. They're they're now. <laughs> 
they're now in the mobile devices, which are in the pockets of our kids, right? And they're, yeah. they're, it's going everywhere the kids go. So the digital disruption um, ha- has brought secularism into the palms of the, our kids' hands. Mm. So, uh, the second one's a breakdown of the family. Fatherlessness is a seismic challenge within our within our, our country. Um, and, and then a third one would be the, the decline of the church in North America. Uh, many churches are thriving. Many churches are closing their doors, right? So yeah. it just depends on there's different churches, different types of churches that are doing well. But these these three, which we talk about in portions of the book, uh, the decline of the church, the digital disruption, and the breakdown of the family has created a, a mountain range of other challenges. So rather than the conversation being, uh, how are we going to retain the kids, right? How are we going to retain kids after high school? The conversation is very much shifting into how are we preparing to launch our kids out into a world of 2050, the year 2050, mm-hmm. that's radically different than anything we've ever experienced the last 30 years. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that stands out to me about how unique that challenge is, is the leaders, the people who are listening to this podcast, the people who, that their parents, it is a radically different world. You know, you could make an argument that the children's ministry leaders of 1960 mentally thinking about 1990, they could at least imagine that it was going to look somewhat yeah. you know, closer to what and their the reality was between 60 to 90 yes. compared to 2010 to 2020. Like, yeah. like the rate of change the last 10 years has been ridiculous and it's, it's going to continue to increase. So you talk about that mountain range because this book helps in the conversations we're having kind of help contextualize a lot of like cries of the heart. And I'm curious, you know, in facing that mountain range, what gives you the most hope that we're going to be able to get on the other side of that mountain? What gives us hope is the presence of a loving, caring adult. Uh, in chapter 10, we, we break down uh, the belonging research yeah. that one loving, caring adult, who, by the way, doesn't even have to be a parent, it does it, not non-family member, one uh, adult can make all the difference in a child's life. The family ministry conversation of the past decade has been very much about how do we get that parent uh, partnering with the church to disciple their own kids obviously extremely biblical. Like yeah. we stand on, uh, on that biblical uh, foundation and, and, and we promote that. We want more parents to step up to that challenge. Well, what's the problem? The problem is that many of them are not doing it. Kara yeah. Powell's research in Sticky Faith says only 12% of parents are engaging in those spiritual conversations with their kids. Oof. Yeah. That's a, that's a bit of a, of a punch in the gut there. So, so we need the church to be the radiant bride of Christ. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so, so for those caring, loving adults, whether they're coaches or mm-hmm. mentors or mm-hmm. teachers, small group leaders, life group leaders, Sunday school teachers, the power of knowing these kids who are in our presence and creating a structure and a system within the local church where we can have proximity and regular engagement with those kids. Uh, that's what gives us hope is the power of a, of a loving, caring adult. Uh, that's the power of belonging. And that that's what's opening up the arms and the doors of the church uh, to today's kids, that's where they're going to say, I'm looking, I'm, I'm isolated. I'm looking for real authenticity. I just found it. And I found yeah. it in the church. One of the things that I he- kind of hear you saying is that when people look at this book and look at the issues that th- they're facing in the church, like it can often seem overwhelming. But what I hear you saying in that answer is that the most important thing that can happen is that they get belonging, right? The book talks about belonging, believe it become. I would love to hear you speak more about that, but that by just being there for that child, by providing a loving environment, that that is the majority of the work. So uh, we're a 70 year old organization. So th- there are ups and downs with being a 70 year old organization. <laughs> well, one of the ups is you get to look backwards and say, what is it that we did that 
if we had success, yeah. what was the success? And and then dig under that. Like what what were the reasons why? You know. So as we began in 2014, so it's a several year project of really understanding our spiritual DNA, uh-huh. of understanding our philosophy, uh, what what it was, what what was the architecture underneath uh, what's been effective and fruitful. We 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 have come to belong, believe, become. Not, not only did we see that in our own story, we saw that in the research, and we see that in the scriptures. So I, I, this verse hit me recently, uh, Romans 10. 15 and how uh, uh, as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news just in that one verse yeah. just a few words probably 10 words or I don't know uh, you, you see belong believe become mm. uh, you see the the person right the, that's that's the belonger the, the person who says you belong I want to be in proximity to you I want to be in relationship to you I'm going to go to you right and then you see believing I'm going to preach the good news that's the gospel uh, in the scriptures, that's the truth of God found in his word. That's how we discover Jesus is through his message. And then you see those feet, you see those feet, so you see becoming and the living out of the gospel. Yeah. But this this pattern of a belonging, a person who communicates belonging, right? That's highly relational. A person who gets close to the pain of the world, a person who gets into the community, uh, that's someone who says, I want to be your friend. And through that friendship, what do we discover? We, we discover love, we discover uh, 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 something that causes us to be curious and says, I want to know what's different about this person yeah. and through, through that dialogue, through that relationship. Uh, the word of God uh, finds its place into, into that relationship as that, as that discipler is living out what it means to become like Christ. So th- this pattern of belonging, believing, becoming is all throughout the scriptures. In, in particular, we see it in the new Testament and in, in the gospels. ever on the Resilient Disciples podcast. But I also want to thank you for listening. If you made it this far, it's because you're asleep right now and you didn't hit stop. Or more likely, it's because you really care about the future of the church. I can't thank you enough for the time you've already committed to these first two episodes, but we've got a long way to go. So please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so others can find the show. It really does help. Now, before you go, I asked Matt what resilient means to him. So once again, here's Matt Markins. I think of pieces of my own story. Uh, 16 years old, uh, 15, 16 years old, uh, my dad was really pushing hard for joint custody. He was an unhealthy person. Uh, I came to a season uh, of, of evaluation and decided, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do joint custody. I'm going to stay with my mom as a primary custody holder. My dad says, uh, wow, I really don't want to see you anymore. Mm-hmm. It was huge in my life, painful confusion, right? In this season of, of my life, the church just threw their arms wide open to me. The pastor, the pastor's wife, a youth pastor, a deacon, and really my mom's consistent presence as well. The, the presence of those caring, loving adults. That, that type of experience can crush a young person. Yeah. And there were other people who came alongside of me during those adverse circumstances uh, that, that really mentored me and cared for me. But given that opportunity, which was a very painful opportunity, but God used that to build resilience within me, uh, to prepare me for, for not only to face other difficult things in life, but to look out at the church and the body of Christ and to see so many other kids facing these adverse conditions to give us a passion of how can we help these kids uh, to, to, to minister to them, but also to prepare them for a future that we're not going to see. Yeah, that's what's all about. Matt, thank you for being here. I really 
genuinely appreciate the opportunity to engage in a conversation like this. I can't believe this is my job. I'm really looking forward to future conversations with you individually, but as we continue to try to engage this moment that the church is in and that Awana is in, uh, I have all the confidence in the world that God's going to do great things. So thank you so much. Thanks, Ross. Let's do it again. Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Go to resiliendisciples.com for more information and many more of these conversations. Special thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making this conversation happen. I'm Ross Cochran, and we'll talk again soon.